my brother-in-law just sent me a song a couple days ago because today is Thanksgiving, which is my favorite day of the year. And right as I sat down here, I was going to start by singing it. But of course, I immediately blanked on the way it goes. It's, it's, I think it's Matthew West. And it goes, gobble, gobble me, gobble, gobble you. No, it goes, <laughs> okay, I remember. It's gobble, gobble one, gobble, gobble two, gobble, gobble me, gobble, gobble you. And that, that song, it just cracked me up because, I mean, he talks about how it's the, there, there are no Thanksgiving songs. And that's true. So he wrote a thank you uh, a Thanksgiving song, which I am very happy about. I love it. It's an awesome song. And I've been annoying my wife with it because she is not a big fan of the song. And uh, I mean, she's she's first of all, she's Panamanian, so Thanksgiving isn't even like a thing for her that she celebrates because in Panama they don't have Thanksgiving. They have different holidays and uh, although November is a big holiday month for them, but they they don't have things like traditional Thanksgiving like we do. And so uh, for me, I have, I love it. And she has, oh, so for her having a Thanksgiving song doesn't really make any sense. But anyway, uh, you, those of you who are watching on YouTube, you will notice that I am once again in a different place. I am now in North Carolina and I am at my brother-in-law, at my brother-in-law's house. And I was going to say my sister-in-law, but I don't know, technically like, is, is it your your sister-in-law? Is she my sister-in-law? I always call her my sister-in-law. So that's how I'm going to refer to her for those of you who, who um, hear me talk about her. Uh, but he's my brother-in-law. She's his wife. I call her my sister-in-law anyway. I'm pretty sure she is. I'm not really sure. Maybe maybe some of you can tell me. Uh, write me or comment or something like that. So uh, I'm here, and this is actually my sister-in-law's t-shirt business studio. This is where she she has a company. A business, a small business where she makes T-shirts for people, and she's awesome at it. And this was the only place in the house because there are people everywhere, there are kids everywhere, and so I just set up shop here. As a matter of fact, those of you who can see, well, actually, you can't even see it in the video, but those of you who have been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that I have a very old laptop. That if I lift the screen, if I raise the screen more more than a certain angle, the screen turns off, and I have all my notes on this on this thing. And uh, I, I don't have my normal piece of garbage to prop my computer up on. So it's being propped up by a little girl's onesie. And so that's this is what I'm dealing with. You guys can actually see right next to me is the t-shirt press and, and all this stuff that she uses. And there's just piles of clothes in here because of her t-shirt company. And so that's, uh, that's where I am today. And you may hear children galloping through the halls. And in this room, there actually is no no lock on the door. So there is a very high percentage. There are multiple children in this house, and they're all young. And it is Thanksgiving, so everybody is excited. So there is a high possibility that once or twice or multiple times during this episode, you, the door is going to open and little children's faces are going to peek in and to try and figure out what in the world I'm doing in here because they don't know what a podcast is. And so, uh, but I, I love this day, most exciting day of the year. And I actually, I went back and forth on whether I should do an episode today because I thought who is going to listen to a Thanksgiving episode. I don't really listen to Thanksgiving episodes because I'm too busy eating. But then I thought I, I decided to do an episode today. One, because the story of Thanksgiving, the real story of Thanksgiving is incredible. And it is such a tale, a, a, a journey of the power of God and just how awesome God is to his people. 
And it is also, um, it's just my favorite day of the year, guys. I love Thanksgiving. And I also thought, I thought, you know, for me, like I, I have to make the turkey every year and I wake up really early, like four or five in the morning before anybody else so that I can get everything ready and start cooking. And I thought there's probably going to be a lot of people out there like me who are just going to be by themselves and they're not going to have anyone to talk to. So they might be interested in listening to my silky, silky smooth voice to talk about Thanksgiving for however long this episode is going to go. I don't think this is going to be a full like hour, hour and 15 minute episode. It will probably be shorter, but who knows? I, I don't know. I know my notes are a lot less than they usually are for a bio episode like this one. This isn't an interview, as of course you've seen in the title. This is a, a biographical thing. And so I, I don't know how long it's going to go. This might be short and sweet. It might go the full hour. I don't know, but we are going to do our best uh, to just encourage you in the Lord this morning to remind you and your family what Thanksgiving is all about, why we do Thanksgiving, why it is the best holiday. Christmas, of course, is awesome too, but I just love Thanksgiving. I love getting together because with with Christmas, and I will do a Christmas episode, I want to do an episode on St. Nicholas, the true, what they call Santa Claus, with his real story. But, you know, with Thanksgiving, you're together as a family all day long. You cook together, you eat together, it's and then you're all just stuffed and uncomfortable together, and you play board games, we play Catan, and it's just a lot, a lot of fun. With Christmas, on the other hand, usually people get presents, and then everybody scatters to go play with their new toys, and you don't see each other again until the new year. And so I, that's why I love Thanksgiving, because I love hanging out with people. So I hope that you guys have been enjoying the show I cannot believe that this is episode 31. 31 episodes, that's a big deal if you guys consider that I started this, I believe, in June. I haven't looked at the actual start date in quite a while, but I'm pretty sure I started this show in June. And we're in November now, and I this is episode 31. I I am just, I got that number 100 stuck in my head like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep doing this. I, we're going to go to 100 episodes plus. And so I, I am, uh, I just... Man, the guests have had Dr. Brian Simmons, Annie Lobert, Barry Miracle, Sam Childers, Chris Mora, which I hope you guys enjoyed that Chris Mora interview. That was one of my favorites. I really loved it. It's it's just it's crazy how far this podcast has come from episode one, completely impromptu, sitting in a basement, and to now, well, sitting in a basement with just an iPhone, all audio. There was no video or anything to now having all of these fancy microphones. I even have a gigantic ring light right by my head that always makes me cry. I I don't know what it is. It's so bright. I got the biggest ring light I think you can possibly buy, and not knowing because I didn't know anything about ring lights. And I put it right. It's always off camera. And, of course, you can't hear it in the podcast. But it's always right by my face. And I don't know what it does, but it seems to, like, dry out my eyeballs and make me tear Every single time I do, every time I do these podcasts, because it's so bright, and I turn down the brightness, and then it doesn't look as good. So I just, for you, for you, my friend, I let this thing just blaze into the side of my face and melt my eyeballs and my eye juices leak down my face as I do this. Some of you, if you watch, if you watch on YouTube, then you'll occasionally see me wipe <laughs> wipe my eyes. That's not me crying at the intensity of the stories from the interviews, although sometimes I do want to, it is me wiping away the side, the eye juices from the side of my face 
the tears that come because of this ring light that is right by me. So that's what's going on there. Oh, okay. So speaking of fancy things, because now that I have fancy the ring light and all that kind of stuff, I want to remind you that we have a website now. It is www.revivalcarriers.com. Pretty easy to remember. And it has everything from the show in one compact place. And it's got the newest episode on the webpage there. It's got the newest, uh, um, the audio. It's got the YouTube on there. It has a little bio about me. It has just some interesting, it's a very simple website. I didn't want to go complicated, just like the show. I don't want to make it too complicated and weird. Uh, but it, it is a simple website. But I, I again remind you guys, because some people have asked, uh, some people have given like one-time donations to the show. And I've had a couple people ask about, how they could do monthly and that was not possible before because it was just like in the description and you could just do like a one-time thing but now you can go on the website and you can actually click where it says support and if you click on that tab you can actually become like a monthly partner with the show and we are asking for those of you who are listeners who are fans of the show to consider becoming monthly partners this is i i I don't have your your the the nine to five job. I full time run Found Ministries, which is the missions organization that I run, where we, we minister in multiple countries around the world. And this podcast, these are the two things that I do full time. I don't do anything else. I just I I am here, and so that takes finances. I have to live, have to support the family, have to do all those things. And so I just want to ask that you would consider becoming a monthly partner, even if it's $5 or $10 or $100 or whatever it is, or if it's even just as a one-time thing, that is awesome as well. It all helps. And so I also want to ask that you would consider if you're watching this on YouTube and you are just like a watcher the one time and you're not a subscriber, I want to ask that you consider subscribing to the YouTube channel because twice a week, every Tuesday and Thursday, I have new episodes coming out and they are getting better and better. I'm getting better at this. I'm getting better at asking questions, getting better at just doing doing interviews and asking the right things and interacting with our guests. And it's going to keep getting better. We're going to keep getting better guests. And uh, even though all of our guests have been amazing, I have loved every single one of them. But they, they uh, the interviews will get better because I am learning how to draw the best out of our guests and so it's re- wait till you guys hear Pastor Freddie's interview coming up next week. Yeah, I think it's Pastor Freddie's. I think he's next week. I, I get it mixed up, guys, because I have so many interviews that I do. I get mixed up who goes when. But Pastor Freddie was had such an awesome story. You guys are make sure you look forward to that one. And so please subscribe to YouTube if you haven't already. And if you with this episode, please share this share the show. But this this episode specifically. Please share if, if you know somebody who needs to know the real story of Thanksgiving because it is an awesome story. I know you're going to be blessed. And uh, I'm just looking through my notes to make sure that we have everything. I've got all of my initial stuff. I just love Thanksgiving so much, guys. And I'm not going to lie to you. I put this to the these notes together less detailed than usual because I just moved like those of you who know the saga of our house, we finally just moved into a new house and it has been absolutely nonstop work for days and days. And then we drove down to North Carolina and I didn't have a lot of time to write really detailed notes for this podcast. Usually I just read everything straight off the page with these bio podcasts because I want to make sure that I get everything. But with this one, it's mostly bullet points 
which is part of the reason why I said I don't know how long this is going to be because I just didn't have time to write this. Usually, usually it's the size of a novella. Not joking. The, the, the notes are usually about six to 10,000 words for, for a podcast. And just so you know, like a, I, I don't know, whoever you listen to, like a Bill Johnson book is usually like 40,000 words. So the fact that one podcast is about, is close to 10,000 words, that's a lot of writing that I do for these. And so this is going to be interesting, but we're going to do it and it's going to be, it's just going to bless you. So let's just get down to it. And uh, we are going to look at Thanksgiving today from a church history perspective. So we're not going to look at the traditional Thanksgiving story, which is true. I'm not, I'm not trying to say at all that it's not true. It is true. But we're going to look at it from the perspective of the church, not just about the, the Native Americans and the, the pilgrims and that, that specific stuff. We're going to look at a little bit more about what was going on in the world at the time. So Thanksgiving, if you don't know, took place in November 1623. And although, okay, I will say there's a little bit of a a very minor, it's not a big debate, but there's a little bit of a debate about when actually Thanksgiving happened because the first fall autumn harvest, the harvest festival, the first one actually took place November 1621, which we're going to go into that. So don't worry about all these dates. You'll, you'll learn a little bit more. But some people will, might say it's it, the first Thanksgiving was November 1621 because that's whenever the first autumn harvest festival happened. But the that or the first two Thanksgivings were not like a Thanksgiving feast; they were just harvest festival. So it's a little bit different. So you may have heard 1621. I am going to go with 1623 for reasons which you will find out here as we go through this story to give you some context. So the story takes place in the 1620s. John Knox died in 1572. And these I'm referring to, of course, episodes that I had, I've done quite a while ago, a couple months ago. I really recommend you go back and listen to them after you listen to this or whenever you have time because it will give you so much more context. But John, John Knox, he died in 1572. So that's, uh, what, 50 years before the first Thanksgiving and John Welch actually died the year after Thanksgiving took place. And so uh, th- there's a lot happening in the world. If you want a fuller understanding of what was going on in the church in the years leading up to Thanksgiving, I strongly, guys, strongly recommend that you go back and you listen to those two episodes about John Knox and John Welch. They will tell you a lot more about the separation between the Catholics and the Protestants, the wars, the violence, the sieges, the incredible persecution that was taking place against the Protestants, which led to the events that we are talking about today. Also, this is 64 years before Johann Sebastian Bach was even born, and 249 years before William Seymour and the Pentecostal outpouring. So there was a lot that was going on. This whole block of church history is just just full of incredible things. This just jam-packed. And so it's really hard to kind of choose what's going to what we're going to talk about, what we're not going to talk about. I, it's hard for me to focus just on Thanksgiving and not bog you down with a lot of details that I've all I don't want to repeat a lot of things I've already said in former episodes. So again, go back, 
read the ep- uh, uh, listen to the episodes on John Welch and John Knox. Now, these Christians that we're looking at, that we're about to talk about, they did not understand the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Remember, uh, William Seymour and the Pentecostal movement did not happen, or I should say that the, the Pentecostal outpouring did not happen until 1901. So these Christians didn't understand the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They did move in miracles, as you will see, but they rejected much of the supernatural because they saw it as idolatry from the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church, they they... As you know, they worshipped idols, still worship idols in most places, and the the Protestants broke away from from all of that because they saw the Catholic Church as as basically following uh, the ways of the devil, and so the Catholic Church focused really strongly on the supernatural, and the Protestants, because they were trying to break away from the Catholic Church, they moved completely away from supernatural things, and it caused all kinds of issues because there should be a balance in the church between the supernatural and the natural, but the the Protestant church back then, they went the completely opposite way. So just to give you a brief summary of what I explain in nearly three hours of detail in the John Knox and John Welch episodes there was a massive movement in the 1500s called the Reformation. And that movement ended in the 1600s. And Martin Luther, he is the face of it and the most famous person of it because of his theses that he nailed on the church door. But there were actually a lot of very important people involved and many of them were martyred for their faith. The Catholic Church, they had become a political party that was steeped in idolatry and unscriptural practices and controlled pretty much all of Europe. The reformers, they called for a total overhaul of the church, going back to the roots of the Bible, and this meant pulling away from the Catholic Church. Now, because most kings and queens were controlled by the Catholic Church, this branded the reformers as heretics because they were basically seen as like a rebel group. They were the Catholic Church. They were a political party. And because they had their hands in so many governments, they then, and these reformers were saying, don't listen to the Catholic Church. Don't follow the ways of the Catholic Church. And they actually managed to sway some of the kings and queens, which again, if you, re, if you listen to some of the other episodes, you will see some of how some of the kings, they actually converted to Protestantism and that caused wars. And so because of this, the Catholic Church branded the reformers heretics and illegals, and they were hunted down and killed in all kinds of horrible ways. During the Reformation, among the reformers themselves, two new groups of Christians emerged. The first group was called the pilgrims. Now, just take into account, I am going to call them pilgrims now. They were not called pilgrims until later. I am just going to refer to them as pilgrims now, just so it's easier for you to track the story, to know who is doing what. The pilgrims, they were a group of reformers that believed that they needed to be totally separated from the Catholic-ruled governments. So they wanted complete separation from the Catholic Church and from the rule of governments that were controlled by the Catholic Church. And so they... They believed that they should be ruled by their own Christian government. They basically believed that the Catholics should rule themselves, 
and the Protestants should rule themselves. Under this banner were people that I've already mentioned, John Knox, John Welch, Martin Luther, etc. The pilgrims were the ones who were declared heretics and were persecuted. So just keep that in mind as we talk about this. It was the pilgrims that were being persecuted. They were the ones who also fought back. They took over cities and castles, and they were just as ferocious as the Catholics. And if you don't believe me, guys, listen to the other episodes, and you will be shocked at the level of violence that the Protestants, the pilgrims, carried out against the Catholics because it was not a one-way street. It was not just the Catholics doing all the damage, although the Catholics definitely had the power and the ability to stop it. The, the, the Catholics refused to, and so the Protestants fought back. The second group of Protestants that emerged from this the Reformation, they were called the Puritans. Now, I want to I am clarifying this because a lot of people use the Pilgrims and the Puritans synonymously, but they were actually two very different groups. The Puritans, they were reformers, but they didn't believe that they should separate from the ruling governments or even from the Catholic Church. They actually believed that they should bring reformation from the inside. And among among the Puritans would be, even though he was born much later, someone like Johann Sebastian Bach, uh, who I have an episode on. And I, again, you should, you should listen to it because he was an incredible man of God. But someone like Bach, who actually, he was a reformer who believed in the reformation, but he actually stayed within the Catholic Church. Uh, he was a Protestant. But he ministered alongside the Catholic Church and actually wrote music for the Catholic Church. And so the, the Puritans were partnered with the, with the Catholics. And because of that, the, the Puritans actually didn't face the kind of persecution that the Pilgrims did. The Pilgrims, they were called, they were called separatists. The Pilgrims were seen as a rebel group, as a, uh, I can't remember, I know that there's a word for it. It was an uprising. Um, like a militia group of sorts, while the Puritans, they were more accepted by the Catholic Church because they were still in favor of the Catholic Church. But of course, that caused a division between the Puritans and the Pilgrims because of course, of course, guys, the Pilgrims saw the Puritans as friends of the world, as friends of the devil, as friends of the beast, because they believed that the Catholic Church was the beast and that the Pope was, was the Antichrist. And so they saw the Puritans as people who were friends with the beast, that they were the ones who had, who were part of the great falling away. So among the pilgrim separatists, there was a man named William Bradford. And William Bradford, so William Bradford, he was in England, and the church was persecuted. William Bradford himself, as a young man, and the church, they were persecuted and hunted down by King James VI in England. And if that name rings a bell, yes, this is the same King James who oversaw the translation of the King James Bible, which is touted as the most holy translation by so many and the most supposedly the most accurate translation by so many. Well, King James, again, listen to the other episodes, King James was not a good man. He was not a godly man in any way at all. There were actually two main Bible translations in English in those days. The Puritans, the non-separatists who were friends with the Catholics and King James, they helped the they helped create the King James Bible, which was favored, uh, which which was favored among the Puritans, and the government Catholic people, they were the ones who favored the King James Bible. The Pilgrim separatists, they actually translated what was called the Geneva Bible. 
And that was the favored Bible among most Protestants in Europe. The King James Bible actually became more widely distributed later simply because it had the resources of royalty behind it. But it was actually not even seen as a legitimate copy of Scripture by many of the Reformers because a man who hated the Reformation was a practicing homosexual and an ally with the Catholics who also martyred countless Christians, this being King James, oversaw its translation. And of course, the Puritans were seen as allies of the beast and the Antichrist. And so because of that, the King James Bible was actually seen more as like the Antichrist Bible. And while the the Geneva Bible was seen as, because it was translated by the pilgrims, it was seen as the true real English translation. But nowadays people have just clung on, even though the Geneva Bible was done first, people have grabbed onto the King James Bible and apparently have decided that that is just by, it's really by human tradition that it was been told that it was most holy Bible because that's what's been being said since the time of King James himself, that that was, it was just a, it was a competition thing. Which translation is more accurate, the King James or which, which translation is more holy, the King James or the Geneva Bible? It depended on if you were a pilgrim or a Puritan. It was all political. And so that that's just the story behind that. What you do with that, that's up to you. I do have the King James Bible. I'm not saying I don't believe that it's the Beast Bible or anything like that. I have the King James. I love the New King James is what I usually preach out of. And so, you know, there's that. But I also don't, I don't agree that it is the most perfect of all Bibles myself. So William Bradford and the pilgrims, they're being persecuted throughout Europe in England, specifically the UK, because of King James. King James is persecuting the pilgrims, and William Bradford and a group of pilgrims, they actually fled from persecution, and William Bradford said in his journal that they were hunted and persecuted on every side. For some, this is him, for some were taken and clapped up in prison. Others had their houses beset and watched day and night and hardly escaped their hands. That is the doing of King James and the, the Catholic Church against the, the Puritans, uh, the, the pilgrims, sorry. Get a little bit of water there. So in 1608, when Bradford was only 18 years old, he and a group of separatists escaped England and traveled to Holland, which Holland was what much more open to the Protestants at the time. Uh, most people, when they think of the Reformation, they think that the Protestants were being persecuted literally absolutely everywhere and there was no for, nowhere for them to go. That is not true. That was only in certain parts of Europe. But it was very, I'm not minimizing it either. It was very, very horrible and very intense for the Protestants. So the Protestants, they actually had freedom to worship however they wanted in Holland. They experienced a lot of peace. But Holland was also a very liberal nation, much like the United States today. And even though they had freedom of worship, Holland was so liberal that it was so full of sin. And the pilgrims actually felt like it was too sinful of a place to raise their children. They were afraid that their children would accept the Dutch culture. <coughs> Excuse me. I got a little water down the wrong tube there. But anyway, so they believed that they believed that Holland was so full of sin that it was a too sinful of a place to raise their children. And they were afraid that their children would accept Dutch culture and begin to practice the Dutch sins 
rather than continuing the Protestant movement that their parents had risked their lives for and many had died for. So over the next few years, different groups had already begun settling in North America. Uh, England had already settled colonies in Virginia. The Puritans were already there because they were partnered with Europe and the Catholic Church, and the Catholic Church was expanding. So there were already Puritans in different parts of America, uh, North America, and it was, but but North America was still largely unexplored. It, but it was kind of like a clean slate because it was this new world. And so after nearly ten years of living in Holland, the group of separatists began negotiating with England to be allowed to establish a colony in unsettled northern Virginia. They had to debate this or negotiate this for three long years before they were finally able to work out a deal with the English to allow them to go uh, to go start, start a colony in northern Virginia. So it took them, after these three years, they get permission, they work out the negotiations. I don't have the details of exactly what the negotiations were, but they were able to negotiate it, and they, they prepared two ships to, for this voyage. One of the ships was called the Mayflower, and the other ship was called the Speedwell. Everyone has heard of the Mayflower, but not many people have heard of the Speedwell. The Speedwell, was, it was originally supposed to be two ships, and they were going to split the group of pilgrims between the two ships. But as they were getting ready to leave, they found something wrong with the Speedwell and decided that it would not make the voyage across to the New World. And so they, they originally were going to split 50 people on the Speedwell, 50 people on the Mayflower, and instead they crammed everybody onto the Mayflower and they had 102 people on a ship that was designed for half that number. It was actually, some people stayed behind. As a matter of fact, William Bradford and his wife, Dorothy Bradford, they actually left their three-year-old son behind with Dorothy's parents for unknown reasons, although it is largely believed that it was because they they didn't think he would make the trip because he was young and there was no space. And also because the plan was that the, the speed well would be fixed. It would be uh, whatever it would be. Repaired whatever the damage was, and then whenever the speedwell was fit for travel, it would follow behind the Mayflower once the colony was established. So they were leaving their three-year-old son, expecting to not see him for a couple of years. I can't even imagine. I would have just stayed behind. I wouldn't have even gone. If that was my son, there's no way I would have gotten on that ship. Not gonna happen. I would not leave my son like that. So I'm. It's a little bit of a bummer for William Bradford. I'm not too proud of him for that. But he did what he did, and he's dead. So that happened. A lot, that happened a long, 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 long time ago. So Bradford, he said in his journal, which if you have, if you have not read his journal, I recommend you get it. It is super awesome. Actually, maybe I will put a link to it in the description on for Amazon, but his journal, man, I think every American should read it. Okay. So William Bradford, he said in his journal with mutual embraces and many tears, they took their leaves of one another, which proved to be the last leave for many of them. But they knew they were pilgrims and looked not much on those things, but lifted their eyes to heaven, their dearest country, and quieted their spirits. And this is when they were referred to as pilgrims. Right here in this journal entry was the first time they were really referred to as pilgrims. And of course, that term comes from Hebrew chapter 11, verse 13, which says that we are pilgrims in this world. This was a long and miserable journey that took several months. 
they eventually they sailed for two months and they got to the weather got really bad and they got stuck at Cape Cod, which is a town in Massachusetts on November 20th. And they actually had to spend some time there because the weather was too bad to sail. They ended up spending about a month there. And during that month that they were that they were there, they sent out three different exploration parties, which William Bradford went on to just explore the land in the area. On his first trip out, he actually got caught in a deer trap that had been set by the Native Americans, and it flipped him flipped him upside down and left him hanging. And so it was a uh, a pretty intense exploration for them. And during one of those exploratory trips, his wife Dorothy actually fell overboard from because the ship was in the harbor and they would leave the ship and but they continued living on the ship and his wife Dorothy actually fell overboard and drowned. And William was only 30 years old when this happened. I don't know how old Dorothy was, but it was probably around there. And so he came back from an exploratory trip and his wife was dead. And so I can uh, that he record he talked about it in his journal and it was very very of course horrible for him and which means of course that their three-year-old son never saw his mother again after that and so uh, William had William noted in his journal that a plague had hit the Native Americans and that they were, it was so bad that there were actually bones openly on the ground in many places that they went a lot of people believe that that plague came from them from the settlers. Not necessarily William Bradford and his ship, but for the people who had settled there at Cape Cod, that the English had brought plagues with them, as many people have talked about in the past, uh, because they were bringing new bacteria, new viruses into the environment that had never experienced it before. And I can tell you from personal experience, this does happen. There have been many times I have gone to countries that I've never been to before and almost immediately get really sick because there's so many different things in the area that I, my body has never acclimated to. And so your body just gets really sick and it's it's a horrible, horrible experience. And if you don't have medicine or anything to kind of help you in that, then you can be in big, big trouble and people do die from that. So uh, finally, they whenever the weather cleared up, they, they continued on and they were able to make it to Plymouth Bay on December 20th. And then on Christmas Day, December 25th, they began building the first houses. But almost immediately, the pilgrims were were hit with all kinds of sickness, as I said. Uh, the pilgrims were hit. I said the, the indigenous people were. And they were. The tribal, the, the natives, the Native Americans had been dying. But then the pilgrims got hit with sickness. And on January 11th, Bradford himself was working on a house when suddenly he was struck with extreme pain in his hip bone and he collapsed and they had to take him to a sick bed and he was so sick that they actually thought he was going to die that night but uh, he actually did not he managed to survive the night but many other pilgrims did not survive the sickness spread throughout all of them and one by one the settlers started to die they said sometimes two people would die a day and uh, by March, half of the 102 set pilgrim settlers had been killed by this sickness. And they were really worried that the Native Americans would see their weakened state and attack them to finish them off. So they buried their dead secretly at night in a, in a cave at a place called Coal Hill. So the first governor at Plymouth was a man named John Carver. He was one of the original pilgrims, of course, and he survived the plague and the winter, even managing to work out a peace treaty with a local Native American chief. However, in April 
1621, right when spring was starting and the sickness was starting to taper off, things were finally starting to look look a little bit better. John Carver was out working in his field one day. He complained that he had a really bad headache. So he walked home, laid down in his bed, and then fell unexpectedly into a coma. He died from that coma, and his, and then his wife died a few weeks later. So after Carver died, William Bradford was chosen to be the governor in his place. And after that, things, they seemed like they were starting to get better as spring and summer came. The pilgrims learned from the Native Americans how to survive, how to plant crops, how to the, the land in that area. And whenever fall came, and this is 1621, as I said, when fall came, they had a harvest festival to celebrate these first crops. And now some people, like I said in the beginning, some people would say that this was the first Thanksgiving, but they actually, William Bradford actually didn't even talk about this one in their journal. They was like, they didn't refer to it as Thanksgiving or anything like that. It was just a harvest festival that they had. And so over the next two years, they survived, they learned, they made treaties, and they, they had that harvest festival for the next two years. But in the summer of 1623, there was a terrible drought. And it was so bad that it actually wiped out almost all of their crops, and which would have doomed the pilgrims. They realized they could starve to death because there was going to be no food. And so William Bradford, he called for a day of fasting and seeking God, as the pilgrims often did. And in his journal, Bradford said that it was a set-apart day of humiliation, which means humbling themselves, not humiliating themselves. That's one of those English words that have changed over time. To humble themselves and seek the Lord by humble and fervent prayer in this great distress. So that day, they spent eight or nine hours together seeking God. which this was a normal length for a prayer service for the pilgrims. They said that that day started out dry and hot, but as they prayed over the next hours, small clouds began to form. And by the end of the day, the sky was overcast, and then it rained a soft, perfect rain for the next 14 days. Edward Winslow, who was Bradford's assistant and close friend, and actually he was the governor after um, William Bradford died, Edward Winslow was the next governor of Plymouth. He recorded about that day, but oh, the mercy of our God, who was as ready to hear as we are to ask. And because God answered them and saved them, Winslow said that the pilgrims thought, and this is a quote, thought it would be a great ingratitude to not set apart yet another solemn day. But this day would be a day of feasting to thank God for hearing them. And it was that day where they would return glory, honor, and praise with all thankfulness to our good God. And that next week in November, they celebrated what was the official first Thanksgiving. And it was because God supernaturally answered their prayer. And that was actually not just a one-day thing. The Harvest Festival actually would last for several days. But they had one particular day of feasting that was all giving thanks to God for everything that he had done for them. And so there you have it. 
that is short and sweet. I, I know that there's much more to the story, but I wanted to come and I wanted to share with you the awesome power of God and why we still thank God every day. Why we have, I know some people, I heard somebody the other day say that they're talking about no longer calling it Thanksgiving, but they want to call it like a um, Native American day or tribal, uh, oh, I can't remember the term that they used. And that's fine if they want, if uh, the, the Native Americans should be celebrated for the help that they gave and for what they have done. But let me tell you what, Thanksgiving, that day should always be about God because that day, that was, they were celebrating they were not celebrating friendship. That's what everyone says. Yes, they, they invited the Native Americans. Yes, it was a wonderful love feast. But let me tell you something. Thanksgiving was born out of God answering prayer and saving them and bringing rain in a time of drought. And Thanksgiving is a time of coming together. It's a time of worshiping the Lord. It's a time of giving thanks for, our, for everything that he has done for us. And it is, it is, it belongs to the Lord. And so I hope you guys have a wonderful, wonderful uh, time today, that you have a wonderful day giving thanks to God, that you are blessed, that your family is blessed, that you guys have, uh, you just stuff your faces with turkey and ham and all the delicious uh, uh, things that you guys eat. I know I am going to have a great day. I'm here with my family and we're going to eat and we're going to play Catan and we're going to have all kinds of fun. So I hope you guys are blessed today. Have a wonderful one. I know this is short, but you guys all understand, of course, we got eating to do. We got cooking to do. And uh, yeah, please share this. If you feel like someone would be blessed by it, if you've come this far, please share it with someone else because that means you enjoyed it. And I think someone else would enjoy it too. And you guys have a great day. Many blessings. I will see you on Tuesday.